We thank you, Brother Jorge, for coming and sharing. Wow, powerful. When you stop to think of lives that are changed because people will get out of their comfort zone and not be afraid to share the gospel. The world's not afraid to share its gospel. Why are we afraid? You know, the church stands back, but we have the greatest power on this earth. We have the greatest power behind us. We have the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we owe it to every single person that we come in contact with to share the gospel. And I know in the past we've partnered with the Gideons, but I encourage you, I encourage you, be a blessing to them. If you didn't get an envelope or you didn't have the opportunity or you say, you know, today I just don't, I don't have it. That's all right. Moving forward, if you choose and you put Gideon on your envelope, any money that comes in for the Gideons, we will make sure that they get them. It's a tiny offering compared to Calvary. It's a tiny, such a, such a tiny thing when you consider that it gives you an opportunity to talk to the young kids that are so confused, they don't even know who they are. You know, we can't, not all of us are able to do that. But these men and women of God are anointed to do that. I mean, Pastor, um, Brother Jorge this morning in the nine o'clock, it was all I could do just to not weep as he began to share those stories. Just because somebody cared enough. And I encourage you, if you didn't have an opportunity, take the opportunity to be a blessing. Stop by their table. Support them. Because somebody shared the gospel with you. And if we stop and we think, where would I be if somebody was afraid to share the gospel with you and I? Some of us, we wouldn't even be, we would be in hell. Because, because somebody was obedient and loved us enough to share the gospel. You know, it was funny because I knew Jorge was going to be here. I keep wanting to say Pastor Jorge. I'm like, I, if it comes out that way, brother. Um, and I, as I was preparing, we went to visit a friend on Friday night. And, you know, I was taken back to when I was in college. I lived in San Diego. And, and I remember I was, I was backslid. And... Um, very backslid. As we like to say it nicely, I was building my testimony. Um, yeah. And I did a really good job of it, too. <clears throat> I went to a Christian college. But just because you go to a Christian college or just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. You know, I went to that college, and one of the things that was a blessing to me is they call, we were mandatory. We had to go to chapel once a week. And we had to have Bible studies in our RA's um, room. And I remember, it's funny how God reminds us, reminds us of how silly <laughs> that we once were. I remember that I would go to this Bible study, living like the devil, but I'd come to this Bible story, study, and one of the things we had to do was bring a scripture. I was like, okay, I grew up in church, I can do that. But you know what I did? And I know none of you have ever done this. I begin to go to the Old Testament, and I begin to go in, read things that David wrote, and I would read all the scriptures 
that talked about, avenge me, God, avenge me. Go after those that, you know, did all evil against me. Get them, God, is what I was saying. I know y'all never done that. You never went to the word of God looking for scripture so that you could attack something else in somebody else's life. What that is, is you use that word of God as a cloak of maliciousness. And sometimes we're guilty of that. We go into the word solely to find something that we think gives us a right to try to point out things in people's lives. But the problem is we're not bold enough to point that back at our life. We use the word of God to attack people, leaders, family members. And as I began to think of that, I was like, Lord, I did that. I was guilty of that. And he reminded me that even though I was so silly and so immature, he still loved me and showed me grace. You know, he shows us grace in our immaturity. It's funny, we think we're so mature when we go back into those scriptures. Why don't we jump on over to the New Testament where grace and mercy abounds? See, we want everybody to show us mercy and everybody to show us grace, but we're not willing to give it out to others. We're guilty. Pastor says it a hundred times, we're guilty of what we judge. And as I was out there, it just reminded me so much because, you know, talking about the Gideons and the word of God and the Lord just reminded me, I loved you when you were silly. And this morning, he loves us even if we're silly this morning. He loves us no matter what. And the word of God that's going to come forth today, I pray will be a blessing to you. And I just pray that you receive the word of the Lord. He's confirmed his word multiple times, so I know that it's for such a time as this. And I know God talked to us in the first service, and I'm believing he's going to talk to us in the second service. And if you are here for both, well, God bless you. (laughs) This morning, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, we just come before you this morning. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would have your will in your way. Father, I pray that my heart would be your heart this morning. That I would speak as you would speak to your people. Out of love and grace and mercy. And Father, I pray that as you begin to, like an onion, peel back layers of our hearts that you would pour in that healing balm of Gilead, that you would bring an oil of joy for mourning, Father, and that you would give a garment of praise for those that are carrying a heaviness today. I just pray that your will would be done, and I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every one of us, and I just ask that your will would take place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, in your Bible, turn to the book of Hosea. We're going to be reading in the beginning, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Hosea begins out and says, The word of the Lord that came into Hosea the son of Beri, in the day of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. 
And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the, by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Loruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. And then God said, Call his name Loemi, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now, after I started reading that, I thought, sure doesn't sound very encouraging. Sounds about like a lot of stuff, and some of you are going, where are you going today, Angela? But I promise, it's going to get good. See, you may not be familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer. Hosea's marriage was an illustration to Israel of how they had prostituted their relationship with God to pursue other gods. And it is an illustration to us as well. It's the very example of the heartbeat of God. You see, it was an opportunity for Hosea to feel what God felt. To truly know the Lord, we must experience what he feels for the lost. You hear the passion in Brother Jorge. He feels what God feels for the lost. And when we, sorry, to know the Lord, how he feels, what he feels, and how he feels when we walk away from him. See, God tells Hosea to marry a harlot. And he sets up the illustration of the relationship of his people and him, the relationship that the, that Israel had with God. But it's also an illustration of our relationship with God. See, the Amplified in Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the innermost parts, I knew you, and I approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I consecrated you to myself as my own. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before we were born, he knew us and he approved of us. We don't have to fight and scratch and claw for people's approval because if God approves of us, that's what matters. But it's our, we're ego-driven because we desire so much for the approval of man when God's saying, none of that matters. You're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking for wrong approval. And out of that, you're not becoming the person that I've called you to be. We were known and created to enjoy and partake of the Father's love. You see, Hosea was obedient. I thought about it and I thought, how many people, how many men, if God said, I want you to go down to Beach Boulevard and I want you to pick out one of those girls 
and I want you to make him your wife. 99.99999% would say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would never do such a thing. But you know, Hosea was obedient, and he did. He went and he married Gomer. And commentary states that actually she wasn't only a harlot, but she was the daughter of a harlot. See, our children assume our offenses, and we continue to pass on a victimology, a burden of shame, a burden of guilt, a burden of betrayal. We pass it on to our children, and it's never been a burden for them to bear. But instead of dealing with things in our life, we pass on those offenses. We pass on those hurts. We pass that shame. And they walk around their life never fulfilling the call of God on their life because we simply refuse to let God heal places in our heart. Verse 3 says that Gomer bare him a son, and his name was Jezreel, and that name meant to scatter. I was like, well, could you imagine your name was to scatter? That's not a very encouraging name. But she continued to have another child, and this time it was a little girl. And according to scholars, her name speaks of the fact that she never knew a father's mercy or love. How many in the house could say, I don't know even how to accept the Heavenly Father's love because I never saw what was normal. I never had a normal family life where there was love. I don't, so many times we don't even know how to receive and how to process the true love of the Father. We birth things in our lives and our children's lives out of our broken places. But it's time to let God heal those. You know, we think it's so limited. Sometimes it's not just our emotions. It can be your physical life. There's people that are sick today, physically sick, because they're so bitter and so angry that it's literally eating them alive. You know, God never called us to be that. And even in the church, it happens. Nine, I say it happens more in the church than on the outside. You get offended with somebody in the church, and you let it fester, and you let it grow, and you let it build. And what happens is you have this tree in your heart, but you say things. I heard Pastor Tim Delena say, when someone says to you, I'm over it, I'm over it, I'm fine, they're lying. You're not over it. Think about if you're a husband, when your wife says to you, it's fine, it's fine, it ain't fine, okay? So what makes us think that we can cover up our bitterness and unforgiveness? Just mean, it's fine, it's fine. No, it's not. Go to the root, dig it out, dig it out. You're lying to yourself, but you're ultimately lying to God. It's not just emotions. That's the easy one. You can see somebody who's an emotional wreck. That's the easy thing to see. Sometimes even 
The physical, you can see it. We saw somebody this week that physically you can see the toll of sin on their life. Somebody who's in their 40s that looks 60 years old because of sin. It does a number on us, but we think we got it all covered up. But even in the financial arena, we never give God control over lives. And that's why we start out well. We come and we get excited. We get saved. We're like, oh, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do. But unbelief creeps in. Unbelief creeps in. And we say, you know, God is not necessarily telling me I have to be faithful in my tithe every month. And then we even argue with God when we say, mm, well, I once paid on my gross, but now I'm going to worry about my net because I'm going to argue with God about a few dollars when everything you have is his anyway. We pull back in unbelief in this area because disobedience is an outward display of our distrust in the God that we say we love. We don't trust him. If we trusted him, we would believe what he said. We would do what he, said, he tells us to do, but we don't. We, we're saying, I don't trust you, God. I can handle it better on my own. How's that working for you? Others, you can't handle spiritual authority because all you know is abuse and hurt from those that have been in authority over you in the past. You know, there was a situation this morning, and I said something to Bella, and I so appreciate her heart because she said, okay. She didn't get offended and hurt and think that I had it out for her because she's not afraid of spiritual authority. But so often those that have been in authority in the past in your life, they've abused that, they've hurt you. And we lash out at authority because you haven't dealt with the unforgiveness. You haven't dealt with the hurt. You truly haven't dealt with the bitterness and you haven't dealt with the shame. That's what kept coming over in my heart. There's people in the house this morning, you're so full of shame. Nobody sees it, but it's destroying every part of your life. And a lot of that shame came because of what some of your mothers did to you. Some of your mothers told you you were worthless. Some of your mothers, they beat you. Some of them put you out. Some of them chose not to love you. Some of them were hard, but maybe that's all they ever knew. Maybe that's how they came up. See, they, care, they passed that baggage onto you. And it was never a burden for you to carry. That's why it's so important that we have to be healed. 
we have to allow God to heal that so that we don't pass on those weights into the next generation. But until you allow God to heal those places in your heart, you're going to continue to lash out. You're going to continue to attack anybody who's in a form of authority. Why do you think these young kids are turned when they get in trouble with the gangs, when the police come and they laugh in their face because they don't know the spiritual authority. They don't know authority. And I'm not talking like authority, but somewhere along the line, someone in their life that was supposed to love them didn't do their job. And now there's not a respect. And so we lash out against that. We don't want that in our lives. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. And it's real easy to say, I forgive. It's so easy. We say, I forgive you. Mm, mm, mm. I forgive you. Yeah, 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 I forgive you. But the true mark that you're forgiven, people say, it's, you don't talk about it. Oh, it's much deeper than that. The true mark that you've really forgiven, it doesn't sting your heart anymore. There's not a sting anymore. There's people in this house, you hear people's voice and you can't stand to even hear their voice. You've never said that publicly, but in your heart, every time that person speaks, that sting just hits over and over and over again. And you think you're okay. But I come to tell you this morning, until the sting is gone, the healing hasn't come and taken place in your life. So instead of dealing with the root, we let it lay dormant, and we cover it up. And we cover it up so good, right? We come to church. We get in the mirror, you know, get our hair did, you know, make sure everything looks good. But it don't matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter what car you drove up in. It don't matter where you live. None of that can truly hide you from God and what's in your heart. But we must allow God to touch that place in our lives. We hold others responsible for things they've never done to us. Just as Gomer was the daughter of a harlot herself, At times, we become just like those who hurt us most. That we say, I'm never going to be like that person, and that's the person you end up being most like. But this morning, God is calling us to lay aside those things and to truly be healed, and once and for all, stop blaming God. Because people blame God. They don't say it, but they blame God. And blaming others for why you are the way that you are. In chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Gomer goes on and she births another son. But once again, it's not Hosea's son. Because in verse 3, it states she bare him a son. That's the only time it says she bare him a son. So here he is, he's married to this woman, and she's going out and having babies by everybody else. Not many men would stick around for that. Not many women either, right? Because if you're a man out having babies with other people, 
you ain't going to stick around. The child's name was Loemi, which means not mine. Imagine going through your life and your name is not mine. Not mine. You say, look at you. Hey, not mine. Come here. We, we chuckle. But what shame. What shame overshadowed that child for its whole life? How many of us have walked around with a shroud of shame for lesser reasons? There's a torment to not being loved by a natural parent. That's why the scars on our hearts are so deep when it comes to a parent who didn't do what we needed them to do. Look, I'm very, very well aware that hurt people hurt other people. So your parents did the best that they could. But the problem is you're still carrying their burden. You're still carrying what they carried, and God never intended for you to carry that. He never intended for you to carry shame from what was done to you. It was a constant reminder of shame, reproach, rejection. And many even feel that way today. It may be because of what you were birthed into that's held you captive all these years. Some of us, because of the families that we were birthed into, we think we have to go that route. You don't have to go that route. And everything that we go through, God allows. Because he's somehow, some way going to use it for his glory. You know, I shared in the first service, my fa- most of you know my father's been in prison most of my life. And as a little kid, it never affected me until somebody pointed it out. I had a little friend in kindergarten, and she said to me, why did your dad live with you? And up until that point, it never even crossed my mind because I had a mom that loved me. I had grandparents that loved me. I didn't even, this is how, I didn't even know I needed the love of a father because I was being so loved in the environment that I was in. Perfect? No. But I didn't even know what I was missing. I didn't even know that until someone pointed it out. And then when someone comes and points something out, it's like if you have a spot on your dress, like you don't even notice it. You walk around real proud talking to people until somebody notices it, and then you're like, oh, right? You're trying to hide it. Then it became a thing of shame. And I began to think, oh, and I even had people in the church say to me, how would you like it if I paraded your father around this front aisle in his prison suit? How would you like that? Trying to add to the shame of my life. And at that time, it was something that I carried until Christ healed me. And then it come to the place where you can say anything you want because I know who my heavenly father is. And I'm not in bondage to what my earthly father is. I love him. I pray for him. I pray that he finds salvation but I'm not bound to what he is. And I even would ask God, even when we started the church, I had questions still. Some of us questioned, why me? Why this, right? It's natural. Why did this have to happen to me? Even if you come from a good family, like I come from a good family, it's not supposed to happen to people like us. And I remember sitting over here, there was a classroom 
And many of you know the story. And I sat in that classroom and every single one of the children that is in that room had a parent in prison. And God said, this is why. It wasn't wasted. It wasn't to do you harm. What you've been through isn't to do you harm. Some of us bring harm to ourselves. But God can heal that too. Possibly we have secret sins in our life. And we tried to hide it from everybody around us, but God is saying, it's not a secret to me. He's saying, I see it. You can't hide it, but let me heal it. You know, Sister Inez, she's not here. And if you know her testimony, I won't share, but a lot of her testimony, she's been through a lot of things. A lot of things. A lot of things that most people would have laid down and said, what kind of God would make a child go through this? But instead, she's let Christ use it. And now she's working with a bunch of women who are just like her. Broken. Hurting. She just told me this morning, there's a young lady they just got. She's been trafficked. She's got a money tattoo here. She's been branded. And all she knows is the occult and the things that are out there. And she said, I don't know if I can do this. And I said, you're the one. Who else? Who else could go and minister to those babies like Inez could? But see, the story is the same for each and every one of us. You may have been a single mother. It wasn't wasted because you can minister to somebody else that's a single mother. You may be divorced. You can talk to those that have gone through a divorce and be an encouragement to them. Don't let the devil lie and cause it, tell you it was a failure because it's not a failure unless you don't let God use it for his glory. The torment of not being loved leaves those scars, but God will never force his love on us. But he does offer a way of escape. He offers a way of redemption and peace and love and joy beyond all measure. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. See, it takes something on our part. I said in the first service, he's not going to bust in like the SWAT team and make you feel his love and make you do things. You're going to have to open the door to let him in, which means you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to get real with God. You know, you, we, we say things like you can't hustle a hustler, right? God's not a hustler and you ain't going to hustle him. You, are, you can be the best car salesman and try to sell everybody on everything, but let me tell you, you will not hustle God. And you will not sell God on your junk. Once we open that door, it's amazing. You see, he's knocking today. Jesus is knocking on the, heart, the door of our heart. And he's saying... Week after week, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. But we have to choose to let him in. To every area of our heart. 
This applies to saved people, backslidden people, and those who truly just never ask Jesus into their heart. Imagine the love of Hosea, obedient to the Lord as his wife goes out looking for other men, looking for love and fulfillment, not knowing that the love and fulfillment she needs is right in front of her. And that's what Christ is today to us. All the love that you need, it's right there. The satisfaction you need, it's right here. You carry shame, and you're like, God, I just want to lift the shame off of me. It's right there. It's right there. All you have to do is reach out and take it. God's not a game player. People might have played a lot of games with you, but God's not going to do that to you. But we're just like that sometimes. We're driven by our hurt, our lustful desires, and a desire to be recognized. But we'll never be moved to the level of recognition that we desire till we die to the pride that craves it. See, the only reason that we want to be seen is because that pride gets elevated. You know, some have even said in their heart, don't they know who I am? Don't they know I'm a child of the Most High King? Yes, you are. But he doesn't want you to be a jerk about it. He won't elevate you to a place until you can handle it. You say, why am I still in this position? Because you've never learned to submit to authority. You've never learned to let God be the ultimate authority. You say you do, but you take it back. As soon as something doesn't go your way, you take it back and you say, I got this, God. Not with our lips, but with our actions, that's what we do. Things, relationships, marriages, Clothes, purses, shoes, jewelry, boats, sea-doos, bikes, cars, they're only temporal. And they cannot give us the satisfaction that we crave. Is it a sin to have those things? No. But it becomes sin when they have us. And when those things become your satisfaction. And when you believe that those things give you a place of status. Because Jesus was made of no reputation, and that's how we're supposed to be ourselves. Hosea 2, 1 says, Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and your sister, Ruhamah. This is where it gets really good. You see, their names were changed. Loemi is no longer not mine. But that name means my people. So God takes the name that says, not mine, and says, you're one of mine. Lo Ruhamah was changed to just Ruhamah, which means having mercy. Her name was changed from never knowing the mercy or grace or love from a father to having mercy. The very thing that she never knew, she never knew how to handle, she never knew, she had never received, God changed her name 
And that's what he does for us. He gives us a new name. He changes our name. And our name is no longer defeat. Our name is no longer wretched. Our name is no longer a burden to somebody else. Our name is no longer bitter. But it becomes hope and victory and redemption and life and liberty in Jesus Christ. See, he wants to change our names this morning. I don't care. You might have sat in church for 25 years and you think that you have the market on it, but there's still places in your heart that you've never let God go to that place. In chapter 2, the warning goes out to Gomer and Israel and ultimately to you and I this morning. If you stay out there long enough, Gomer... Everything will be lost. Some of us this morning, you're out in shark water. And you think, I'm not going to get bit. I'm not going to get bit. I can swim around with the sharks. First of all, those people that go out and swim with the sharks, they crazy, okay? (laughs) But what makes us think we're any different? We're in shark water, like, so deep We've married ourselves up with people that we know that we're not supposed to be around. You know, I heard a, a message the other day, and it was talking about Korah in the Bible in the Old Testament. And it said that Korah married up with Reuben's sons. And that began to be part of the decline and the, the rebellion in Korah. And what happens is we don't even realize who we marry up with. I'm not talking in the, like marriage. I'm talking like who we connect with. We connect with people, and we know it's not the will of God, but we push and we push and we push till we get what we want. And then we go, God, why'd you do this? We surround ourselves with people, and then we become just like them. Before, you might have loved everybody in the church. Now you have the biggest chip on your shoulder. You got to walk like this. Who you marry up with will determine what you become. But it's a stern warning today. If you're involved with things that you shouldn't be involved in, you can stop today. You don't have to continue. You don't have to fall victim and pray to that. You can walk out in victory this morning. The enemy's end game is your life. He wants your spiritual life first, and that's what he gets first. You know, he sends this guy or this girl by, and she's really cute. But she doesn't go to church, but maybe I might win her or him. That is not what happens. And I'll even venture to say, you hook up with somebody who's angry and bitter with other people in the church, And you say, I'm never going to be that. Look in the mirror, because that's what you'll become. It's very important who we connect ourselves with. We cannot walk around, and people say, oh, well, that's for teenagers. You know, you need to talk to the teenagers because that's what they're doing. Yeah, but they're young. Why are we still doing it as adults? In the Amplified, John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You can have an abundant life in Christ. You can have a life of overflowing blessing. 
But see, you can't have all of the abundance until you get the junk out. It's like that, um, they, they do that thing, kids do it, they do um, where they put sand in a cylinder and then they try to put like toys on top of it and they say, how much fits in here? Well, if you put sand first and try to put toys in, you can't put very much. But if you put the toys in first and then pour the sand in, it can fill up around it. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to fill in the broken places. He wants to fill in the scars. Scars are just a reminder that you didn't die and go down in defeat. Luke one thirty seven says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. You see, Gomer went in and out, in and out. She was all over the place. She was a hot mess. But I believe there was a true desire for a normal life. And some of us, we've never even seen what normal is. We don't, we've never seen it, we've never experienced it, and we can't even believe that we can obtain it. But it is possible because God takes our mess and gives us a message. In chapter 3 of Hosea, his wife leaves one more time. But as a type of Christ, he goes and he finds her. He goes out and he finds her on the streets doing her thing. There's no place you can go that God cannot find you. There's no depth of immorality. There's no depth of shame, regret, bitterness, unforgiveness. And I feel led to share this this morning. Even if you struggle with homosexual desires... And the devil has put such a shame on your life. Just because he brings that thought doesn't make you a slave to it. You don't have to be a slave to it. But the devil's told people in this house, you ain't never going to change. You're never going to have a healthy marriage. You're never going to be in victory. It's always going to be a shadow over your head. But I come to tell you today, the devil's a liar. And you can walk in freedom and victory in your life. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if you were with a prostitute last night. Or you are in a bed of fornication or adultery. He wants to heal that. Immorality takes such a toll on our lives. And some this morning, you say, I'm just a mess. I may not have said it, but I feel that way. Some feel... Your very personality is eroding away. You don't even recognize the person you've become. You don't even know your identity anymore. You don't know who you are because you tried so hard to be what everyone else wanted you to be. What you thought you wanted came with a price tag, and your very existence feels lost this morning. And there are things in our life, they're lost. 
They're gone permanently. You can't get them back. Things that we've done so often, we say, if I just would have, if I could just go back. But we have to come to peace with the fact that we can't go back. And part of the peace of knowing that you can't go back is allowing God to heal that. And dispelling the lie of the enemy that that is truth. Because it's not truth. But if you allow God, he will give you so much more than you lost. What he has is so much greater than what you've lost or what you've had stolen from your heart. We must fully surrender every part of our heart. Even as Christians, we hold things back. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to be real. All the while we say, I'm, I'm real. I'm not holding nothing back. That says that you are, usually. Right? Because we try to cover it up because we think that we need to have a perfection in our life. And I can tell you, nobody in this house is perfect. Nobody. Every single person, if I pass the mic, if they would be honest, they've done something they're ashamed of. They've done something that has hurt somebody else. And they've been hurt. Those are just common denominators in life. But you don't have to walk around in shame anymore. You don't. And my heart is so heavy about those in the house that you're walking around with shame. Yes, the shame may have come because of something that happened to you. But a lot of times the shame is just because of what we've done and we've been disobedient to God. But you don't have to carry the shame any longer. You don't have to carry it anymore. We, can, we only allow God to go so far, and then we block off those places in our heart. <laughs> and I visualized, like at Target, you know, they took them down, praise God. But you know those dividers, those clear plexiglass things? So what happens is, in our heart, we have our heart, and then we put up the, this plexiglass thing that divides us, divides God from getting to that place. But see, you can see through it, you can see through it, right? People can see through it. You think you're hiding it, but people can see it. But ultimately, God sees it. So no matter how many plexiglass things that you have, and this part of your heart, and this part of your heart, and this part of your heart, and we've all done it at a different time. Maybe we've put up walls with other people. You know, I was thinking... It's funny because I saw this picture the other day on Instagram, and it had to be from the 80s, okay, because of the big hair, right? All the perms, the big bangs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those were the days. Those were the days. But it showed this picture of, and it said, how we unfriend people today, or how we used to unfriend people. And what did, what did we do? We'd scratch out their faces. Come on now, anybody did that? If you were, if, okay, sorry you younger ones that didn't have those, but those of us that are like 40, 50 and above, we had school pictures and, and uh-huh, thank you, Eva, I appreciate your honesty back there, right? What we do is, in the picture it showed that we scratched out their faces, as if that made them not on the page. 
as if that took away that you were around them. But it said what we do today is we just unfriend people on social media. And we think that that's going to heal the wound. The people are still there. I heard Brother Will had been teaching on the problem's not everybody else, that it's you. It's easy to say that, but it's really hard to swallow it and admit it. It's really hard to admit it. But the thing is, will you be willing to admit it? You'll never enjoy the fullness of the love Jesus has for you until you give him your everything, till you allow him. Just like Hosea went out after his wife. He went out after her. He went looking for her. He went searching for her. That's what Christ is doing for us this morning. He's walking up and down the aisles, and he's saying, my son, I know. I know what you're carrying. I know what you're going through. I've not forgotten you. He's not forgotten. He's not forgotten you. The devil's tried to convince you that you're never, ever going to be like everybody else. He's told you you're never going to be happy. But there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope. Just like those children's names were changed. That's what he does in our life. He changes our names. And as I begin to close, I want to share a story with you. And, and I, I, I don't do it justice like Pastor does. And many of you have heard it, but it bears repeating. We had a little dog named Max. And if you've been with the church any while, you've heard the adventures of Max. <laughs> Max was the dog that would run away as soon as you opened the door. A kid got stabbed in the park and, you know, oh, no, that was Coco that was running around. But Max would get out and Max would run to, he, he acted like he was a pit bull. But he's this little schnauzer. And he got out and we couldn't find him. And so we're all out there calling for our dog, and the Lord, I felt in my heart, said, why is it that we love our animals more than we love our Heavenly Father? We'll go and we'll search after them. We'll scream like a maniac up and down the streets, calling for our little dog, right? But we won't dare go out on the streets and talk about Jesus. We won't dare go pass out a Bible with the Gideons. But we'll scream for our, our animals. So Max got out there and he comes around. And you know when your dog's done something wrong and they come back and their ears are back and they're like, like how we walk back in the house of God after a weekend of sin? We come back in. I'm going to sit on that back row and pray to God nobody sees me. Maybe not even the back. You can sit in the middle. It's all right. I'm not going to pick on the people in the back row. You might even sit in the middle. You might even sit on the front row. <laughs> but you come in and you're like this. Well, Max came back. And see, Max had gotten into human feces. And he was covered from head to toe. 
was in his face. And as I began to think of that, I thought, how is it that we, we get into the things of this world and it's as if the feces are over our eyes and we can't see clearly any longer? We can't even smell the goodness of God. We can't even taste and see like the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But Max was full and he's filthy. And of course, first pastor got mad because he was like, seriously, now I'm going to have to clean all this up. But as he brought Max in, you could hear him in there and he began to wash him and he began to love on him. And as the dirt began to come off, and he loved on him, and he petted Max, and he made sure that he was clean, and he went, you know, in between his little paws, and he, he went in his belly, and he went all over, and he made sure that every trace of that filth was gone. And that's what Jesus does for you and me. He makes sure that every trace, he can take every trace of everything that we've involved ourselves in, that we've connected ourselves to, or even that we've believed the lie of the enemy. And this morning, I want to share with you that God wants to do that for you. And there were some specific things as I was like, Lord, how are we going to conclude this? And first of all, everyone can have an opportunity to pray. Sometimes when you're in ministry and you're working, especially if you're on the worship team or different things, you don't have that opportunity and that luxury. And I want to afford that to everyone today. Number one, sometimes we just want to pray and we don't want anybody to bother us. And I understand that. Sometimes we just need to get alone with Jesus. But sometimes it's because people pray for us and they pray amiss. So if you just want to pray alone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say pray on these chairs on the side. And that is going to be a sign that, hey, you know what? It's just me and Jesus. And there is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Don't let anybody tell you you have to do things a certain way or there's a certain formula or if you're not up here jumping or doing something that you're not right. God knows our heart. He knows our personality. And everything he does is individualized to us. So I, I offer you that opportunity. If you just want to pray, you could just thank him. Some of you are like, dude, I'm living in victory. I am so victorious. Be honest with yourself. Are you really? Or is that the picture that you put to other people? But I open the altar and I say, you can, you can stay, you be on the sides. But if you want prayer, if you want somebody to pray with you, even if it's just, man, I just need somebody to encourage me. I just need somebody to reassure me. Then come to this altar. It's open for every one of us. I'm going to say this morning, not that, that there would be, but let there be no judgment. I've even heard some people say 
that it was said to them, dude, you're in the altar again? Yes. That's your victory. Who cares what people think? Who cares? You're going to win that victory in that place. I don't care if you ride that altar till we lock the door. If it means you're going to win your victory, it was worth it all. You know, and this morning you may say, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. I've never asked him into my heart, but I want to. Sometimes we don't do it because we don't know how. We come into church and we think everybody knows how to pray. You know, everybody don't know how to pray. You know, and nobody has the market on it either because it's just a conversation between us and Jesus. So if there's those that are going to come to the altar, I ask that those that are altar workers, first of all, that you ask for discernment and grace and wisdom. And it's okay to say, how can I pray for you? I would rather somebody ask me, how can I pray for you, than to pray a bunch of nonsense. Because then you leave more confused than when you came down. But a lot of times, we pray nonsense because we want to pray loud and we want somebody to hear us so we look real spiritual. But not this morning. All that's out the door. And this isn't a rebuke at all. This is, this is our lifeline. You know, I want to be in that altar, right? I think every single one of us, there's things in our lives that, that we, even if it's just to thank him. And so they're going to put on some music softly. And I'm going to open the altars. You're welcome to come this morning. You're welcome to come. And even if it's just to say, you know what? I love you, Lord. Because he's done great and mighty things in every single person in this house's life. You're alive today because he didn't let you die. You're alive today because what the enemy had planned for you, God turned for good. Amen. So if you go ahead and start the music, we just open the altars. He's faithful, church. He's faithful. He's going to replace shame with joy unspeakable.